Friends to the In Obscuria podcast, a podcast where we exhume obscure rock and punk and metal, and we put them in one of three categories, the lost, the forgotten, or the should-have-beens. I am your creepy host, Kevin Williams, and I am joined by creepy. terrifying Mr. Robert Harrison. Not that terrifying, but sometimes. It's just terrifyingly weird, maybe. Not necessarily physically terrifying. Although I was pretty bloody on Saturday. That was kind of cool. Yes, you were very Halloween. That was perfect timing, <laughs> yes. Hanging out with my metal friends. So what did you, smack your finger? No, I actually sliced it. Uh, oh, sliced so it was it, okay. a blacksmithing festival up in the mountains. Gorgeous up there. Oh my gosh, so pretty, so a blacksmithing festival, festival. thing uh, gather it's called a hammer in and it's hammer in. a hammer in yeah it was pretty cool so it's gathering of like-minded individuals that are into knife making metalworking blacksmithing specifically so there's a lot of older guys that have you know this wealth of knowledge the people that have been on the tv shows and the, all the bladesmith shows forge and fire stuff like that these guys are the knowledge behind that then there's the middle generation kind of me that i've, I've i know a little bit about it then there's the younger generation they were teaching kids how to do it and so i jumped on one of the anvils and we were making a little snake out of a piece of rebar and at the very end 
went to clean it off with a wire brush and just ripped my pinky. Did not notice that I'd ripped the skin off. I just felt like, okay, that hurt. And I just kept going with it. So I didn't notice that I was slinging blood all over this guy's tools. <laughs> until I, I, I looked at my hand and of course there's blood dripping off my finger because blood was pumping in the arm. But then I was like, oh, that's bad. And then I looked at it. Somebody, I think somebody else actually was like, dude. And I looked down and it was like all over his tools were was my blood. So I got to go wash his tools off. I'm sure that's not the first time that's happened. I don't know, but that's a great way to get known in a crowd. If people don't know you, go bleed all over everything. They're all going to know my name now. So I'm that guy. But other than that, it was, it was a good time. And once again, if there's a way to spend a day up in the mountains, just hanging out with cool people like that, real, real good people. So we're going to be working on uh, knife making and my workshop. So we've got all the tools, bought a fancy grinder that you use for knife making. So if you need a knife, we're going to have a lot of knives. That's what we're going to get into soon. So we have an Obscuria branded knives. Well, after you cut your fingers off, go listen to Pot of Thunder, Cobras and Fire, Growing Up Rock, Slamfest Podcast, Decibel Geek, A to Z Radio, Metal Up Your Podcast, The Hustle, Disciples of the Watch, Podcast Rock City, State of America, Rock Strikes 10, Potter Than Hell, Podkiss, The Kiss Room, Ages of Rock, Retro Zest Podcast, The Synaptic Empire, and Monty's Rockcast. Come visit us at inobscuria.com. Like us, share us, recommend us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Go buy some stuff, leave a review. And actually, we did get a review. I don't have it in front of me. I'll read it next time. Next time. Next, next time. time. We'll get to it. You need to mention what the world of metal you were in this weekend. Oh, oh, you want to The, the world of Pittsburgh? Yes, yes, See how the true. metal tie-in I was there? in you Steel City. See? That's right. Look at that tie-in. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, man, we did our little run of shows with David Cook, my band The Swear. We opened in Annapolis and then we drove to Pittsburgh. There's a great live stream that we did at this awesome music store in Pittsburgh called In Stuff Music. These guys were super cool. They had basically taken their shop, their music store, and they, I, I don't know if they bought the shop next to them or what, but they knocked out some walls and they made this incredible looking room. It looks like the coolest bar you've ever been in. Mm-hmm but they don't serve alcohol. It's not a bar. It's just, that's where they do their promotional videos and stuff. And they had all these cameras set up. They did multi-camera angles of a performance that we did. It's on Mm -hmm. YouTube. I'll put the link in our show notes. That's cool. But yeah, super cool. And for us especially, because we haven't been able to play what we've played four shows now since COVID. And really, this is my first time playing in, God, almost two years. Yeah. I think. So it was was incredible. Shake those cobwebs off. Yeah. And it was really cool. I wore my In Obscuria shirts twice. on stage, so nice. I was doing a little promotion. Representing, man. Yeah, doing a little promotion. So in obscure. It went really well. Oh man, I am I'm looking forward to this show because I gotta tell you, I was in my hotel room in Pittsburgh and I was shaving. It was late at night and I'd gotten a little bushy. And so I was shaving and the damn power went out while I was shaving. And you cut your finger while well, I cut something else. Oh, of course I cut ouch. myself. And uh You're- Shaving your face, right? Yes. Okay, good. Yes, yes, yes. Not my nap. You gotta be specific. Well, this is true. You know, you gotta do some manscaping. Manscaping, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, yes, it was my face that I'm talking about. (laughs) And so the power went off briefly. And then when it came back on, I had had my TV on. And all of a sudden, the TV was just like super staticky and bad reception. It was like in between two channels. Really weird. I did record it on my phone. And I'm gonna play it for you because it was just a poltergeist. 
Yeah, I think I had a little visit, man, while I was in this. They you tracked know, you down to Pittsburgh. This Kempton Inn, I think is what it was called. The Kempton or something It's probably like built on a graveyard or Maybe. something. Maybe. It's in the Steel City, man, so who knows? But I did get it on my phone. I'm going to play it for you. And then I did notice when I looked down at the blood that was in the sink from my face, it was in the perfect shape of a circle, mm. which was pretty cool. I think that's going to come into play with perfect what we're going to talk circle. about. Oh, interesting. I didn't even think about that. Maybe. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Let me just play what I captured here on my phone. I sound like that when I wake up in the mornings. Mm. So that and Barry White. It's our friends. Yeah, it's our friends. Coming Uh, to us from beyond the grave. And I looked down in the sink, like I said, and Mm -hmm. it was a zero. Ooh. Ooh. It was an O of blood. So I knew exactly what we're going to talk about today. This is a good one. You're going to enjoy this, man. Grave mistake type O negative. Should have been huge. Should have been well, he was okay. he was huge. He was a huge physically. Man. Yes. Yeah, he was he was a huge man. Large. And let's just say the band they were pretty damn big, but they were no Metallica, and they should have been. They got why some, shouldn't yeah, typo they're negative very be very niche, a, very niche big. Exactly, big so. with a small crowd. And we'll talk about this more, but yeah, I'm excited. We've talked about typo quite a bit. They're an American Gothic metal band formed in Brooklyn in 1989 out of the ashes of a thrash band called Carnivore. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as well. And you're talking about the big man fronted by Peter Steele. Mm-hmm. And he's like a giant vampire or was a giant vampire looking man who was six foot eight inches tall. Six foot eight. Damn. That boy. That's a big eight. dude. You're six one, right? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm barely uh, on six a good one day. on a good day. With heels. And uh, six eight. Had that deep, deep, rich baritone. Good lord, yes. So he was dark. He had a, a lot of self-deprecating humor. He brought all of everything that was him, he brought to this band. Mm-hmm. And so what you just heard, obviously, was some of that stuff. They used to put things at the front of their albums that was like silence. Like you get 30 seconds of a track with nothing on it. And you're thinking, what's going and on? You're, you're plugging in your... Or they'd put some crazy like ground, you know, like a ground sound like you think something's wrong with your stereo. <laughs> so they had a good sense of humor. At the same time, they were goth. Mm. And we talked about goth. Last week, we played this band before. We've talked about them quite a lot. I'm not going to go too deep into the background. We did that on our Halloween show. Episode. Yeah, Halloween show. It was episode 46. No, it was 50, actually. Oh, it's close. Yeah, you actually were really close. Right, month at least. Um, One thing to to note about Peter Steele is he was left-handed, but he played his bass right-handed, which is interesting to think about that. Think about if you picked up an instrument and you just played it the wrong way from what you're used to doing. Think about how hard that would have been. 
that. I mean, that's kind of like when I pick up a mandolin or a banjo because it's strung differently. Yep. I just sit there and look at it like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? In, in the story I read, unless you play guitar, you don't really, it doesn't make that much sense. But think about writing. If somebody said, um, oh, I don't have a right-handed pencil, you're going to have to use the left one. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you had to use your left hand. Think about that. That's kind of what yes. it's like. He was a guitarist in his first band. He played a left-handed guitar. They then said, hey, we need you to play bass. They didn't have a left-handed bass. He didn't have the money to go get one. Mm-hmm. So he just had to learn on what he had. Just flip it over. Just, well, that's what Jimmy did. Yeah, right? just flipped like, it over. He didn't do that. Yeah, I told he you, I, in the early days of me learning to play guitar, I had a VHS cassette that I watched and tried to learn what he was playing just by watching him. And it drove me nuts until somebody pointed out that, hey, dumbass, he's playing the guitar backwards. <laughs> that's why I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> it didn't make any sense to watch him. Yeah. So back to Typo, I've already alluded to that he was. So Peter actually died of sepsis in 2010 after seven releases from the band. So we're going to cover all seven releases, 1991 to 2007. And they had one platinum album and a gold album. So had a little bit of success, Mm -hmm. but not nearly as much as I think they should have. I think they should have been huge. Maybe they're a little too creepy and and dark for that. But hey, the Munsters were big. Hell yeah. And (laughs) you have to mention again how he kept his day job, I think, through most of that, right? Yeah, he did. He worked for the New York City Department of Parks and Rec creation full-time all the way up until 1994. Uh Now, they had their platinum success in 1993. (laughs) He was still working for New York. toured and played some probably pretty big-ass shows and then still would come back and whatever he did for Parks and Recreation. It's just crazy. So let's talk about that because that was my introduction. We we got a problem with the swing set over down the street there. (laughs) Well, he, so he was, he did park maintenance and he drove the vehicles like garbage trucks and steamrollers and and eventually he did get promoted to park supervisor. Okay. You got to go pick up the trash over there, I'm man. Need you to go pick up the trash, <laughs> or else I'm gonna bite your neck. I'm just gonna smash you with this base, or I might just step on you. <laughs> yeah, crazy. So my introduction to this band was in 1993, and that was when their third album, Bloody Kisses, came out. I was in college, and I was watching MTV one day, and the video for probably their signature song called Black Number One came on, mm-hmm. and I was just mesmerized. And in that video, you can get the sense of how big this guy was, because he is playing a stand-up bass like a guitar. Strapped around his neck. <laughs> Strapped around his neck and holding it, and it doesn't look that big. No, it it looks like, oh, is that a cello? No, it's a full-size stand-up no, bass. stand-up bass, concert bass, which is pretty impressive if you've ever seen them, but they're pretty big instruments. Yeah, try to just pick one up. Yeah, so, but he, that's what he's rocking in the video. Now, obviously, that's not what he actually played, but the visual was enough that it made me sit down and watch it, and I loved the song, and it was so cool because I had never heard goth quite like that. Like, I was into the mission and, and mm-hmm. bands like that, but I'd never heard goth that heavy. I hadn't really heard that from anyone else yet at this point. I didn't really think of Nine Inch Nails as goth, even though later I would come to think mm-hmm. of them that way. But at that point you, in time, I didn't think of them that way. You and I have the same thing, where if you mention to us goth music, you and I both go to Mission, you know, Sisters, Sisters of Mercy, Mercy Cure. all yeah. that. Yeah, that's what we gravitate. And then after a few seconds, we both go, oh yeah, that's right. Then there's this other part of goth that we keep forgetting about that we, we love. Right. And this band in 1993, this was the album, Bloody Kisses, that eventually goes platinum. It was, they were on Roadrunner Records. This was Roadrunner Records' very first gold album and their very first platinum Ooh. album for the label itself. It was the also the last album with their original drummer, 
So after this, and in fact, three albums after this, they would just replace the drummer with electronic drums. I don't know if you realize that, but no. there were electronic drums on the next three albums after this one. So hmm. first three albums had a real drummer on it. I can see the benefit of that sometimes. Then they had three albums with just programmed drums, and then their very last album, they had a drummer again. So very interesting for a metal band. So yeah. that's the, that so crossover Would they again. pull in a drummer live, or they would just play Oh, yeah, play they tracks. had a drummer in the band. They just, he did the programming. Oh, so and they, live he would play. The drummer would program. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So going back to Bloody Kisses, so that was my introduction. I remember walking around and going to class one day when I had this cassette and I was looking at the, I think I must have just bought it and I was looking at the cover like before class or something and these two goth kids sat next to me and it's the only time goth kids looked at me and went, what's hey up? man, what's up? <laughs> Gave you a little, a little seal of approval. You're all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, they didn't happen again after that, but... <laughs> As I was rocking out to whatever it was that I was into. Yeah. The other thing to mention with this album, we're going to play a song. I'm going to start here because this is where I started. But the other thing to mention with this is they basically toured this album for two years. So they had two albums prior to this. They put out this album, they get some success, and they just go on the road. And they're doing that for two years. In between tours, Peter would come back and work for the city of New York. So he had like a standing open <laughs> yes. job. Yeah, yeah, open come job. Back. All right, I'm back. Yeah, this would also be where they really established their sound. As we go back and visit their earlier albums, you'll recognize that it's not quite down the path of establishing exactly what typo negative sounds like. But this is the album that drove that. And also, uh, while they were touring for those two years, so in 1995, Peter Steele was in Playgirl as a centerfold. (laughs) Seriously? I did not know that. Yeah. So a goth Playgirl centerfold. Excellent. Interesting. Uh, Hopefully the staple was in the right place. (laughs) (laughs) Let's dive in. We'll talk about where you came in on the next song, okay? Okay. But we're going to play this one. This is Blood and Fire from Bloody Kiss. This is 
And that's not on your iPod. So, oh, you've not heard this one. No, that's ah. why I've got a big smile because I've listened to all the ones on your iPod, which I thought was a pretty good survey of their music. But apparently, you've been sandbagging and left some off that I didn't know about. I've got to. We've got to go back and fix this now. Oh, that yes. was really good. And that was fascinating. That it was obviously early in their career. It had more similarities with the traditional goth and traditional in quotation marks that you and I think of the guitar sound was similar throughout all of their albums that really heavy dry sound to it but that song atmospherically was a little lighter the Gregorian chant type stuff that reminded me more of some of the other goth bands that we listened to before but as they progressed they would get even heavier I mean that was heavy but still nothing compared to their later stuff they just really blew it out of the water that was a shorter song for them yeah some (laughs) of their songs at almost six minutes that was a single (laughs) so their 
whole thing was they they have long songs, but mm-hmm. they do move around. And what I love about that song is that tells you exactly where they were headed. So everything that you just heard from the mellow part that was kind of creepy where mm-hmm. he was doing the fake French and <laughs> the fake French accent because he's from Brooklyn. He's from Brooklyn. Eh? And, uh, you know, the pieces of just badass and then slowness yeah. where they had that doomy kind of feel. Kind of proggy, but in a metal way. Yeah, in like a cool metal way. And then the screaming at the end. Yeah, so that's the main thing is like you heard his baritone, mm-hmm. you heard his mid-range, and then you heard his highs. He yeah. could do it all, Oh, man. yeah. And sometimes you think, oh, that's got to be a different singer. No, that's him. That's all one dude. That's all Peter Still. The other thing we haven't mentioned is the other members of the band. So what keeps Typo Negative unique is not just Peter Still and his bass playing and his vocals, but it's the guitars. Kenny Hickey, his guitar sound, mm-hmm. I don't know what he was running through, what kind of process. It's so dry. It's real it's dry and just has, I've never heard anybody else sound like mm-hmm. it. And he has it on every album. As heavy as you can get. Super heavy, but just so tight. As soon as you hear it, you're like, I yeah. know that's typo negative because of that guitar mm-hmm. tone. Doesn't take the vocals to tell you it's typo. And then also Josh Silver, who plays keyboards, he really brings it mm-hmm. to that gothic feel, right? Without those keyboards, it'd be they dark would metal, be black metal. metal. Yep. But yeah, the, the keyboards add in that goth element when he's not doing the goth vocals. And how perfect for the time when they were coming out in the 90s because nobody else was doing that, mm-hmm. you know, but people were starting to get into Nine Inch Nails and there was, you know, on the horizon, there was all of this uh, industrial stuff coming. Yeah. So they were ahead of all of that with the keyboards that they were adding in. And then the drums, even though that was a real drummer and this guy would leave after this album, something about, again, that dryness of the drums, mm-hmm. the way that they recorded them, when they go to programming for the next three albums, they basically copy this sound. Mm-hmm. And it, I always thought it had kind of a mechanical feel, even when it was a drummer playing it. Because it's not a synthy electronic drum beat. It's a very basic I dry beat. Yeah, it's hard to describe, but it's, again, you hear the drums like, oh, nobody else sounds like that. Mm-hmm. Every every instrument is unique. So I think that's what really makes this band unique. Now we're going to move. I'm going to kind of hop all over the place. I'm not going chronologically. I'm okay. just going to play songs that I want to play. And next is kind of, I wanted you, you did it last week. You, you gave us the whole story about how you went to the festival and you did the whole it's visual per- perform- fire, performance, fire performance. Yeah. yeah. So go back and listen to episode 95, last week's episode, the goth rock episode, because Robert gave the whole story about this particular song that we're about to play, but mm-hmm. what I didn't get from you is why why this one resonated with you. So I'm talking about the the album that came out in 1996. So the album that came out after they had been on tour for two years after Bloody Kisses, they came out with this album October Rust. And I remember getting it the day it was released. And the particular song that you were talking about mm-hmm. last week is a song called Love You to Death. So I might have heard the name Typo Negative, probably saw it on a patch on your jacket maybe. I don't know if you've got a Typo Negative. Of course I do. Okay, so I thought you did, but it, the band never, sadly, never resonated with me, never knew what their music was. I knew they were really heavy and dark, but every once in a while on satellite radio, Ozzy's Boneyard, every once in a while, it's not in heavy rotation or anything, they would play Love You to Death. And it always okay. caught my ear because it was so different than Ozzy, ACDC, all the other stuff, which I'd all, like every single song they play, I've heard ad nauseum, love it all, but it's second to classic rock 
rock to music that I don't want to hear anymore. Like, like most of Led Zeppelin, I don't want to hear anymore. Pink Floyd's creeping up there just because I've heard it so much. I don't want to ruin it. You get into the Ozzy's Boneyard type, or it's more Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, stuff like that. I still, I've heard all of those songs and I don't gravitate toward it. But then all of a sudden, this typo negative song would come on and it was so different and I had not heard it a billion times and I would listen to it. And it just, one of the things, I didn't have any connection with it, but I remembered it. And so I came across it at a certain time when I was coming up with this idea. I was building some other sculptures too, but I had this idea to do this performance art piece. Once again, a rough year and I came across it on your iPod. I saw, I was scrolling through, I saw typo negative and I went, huh, let me listen to what else you know they have besides that one song and then it came up to that song and while that song was playing it hit me it made a connection i had experienced a lot of death that year in different directions and it just and once again it was just one of those moments where i had to sit down in my shop it was just you know really strong moments so that's how i came connected to typo negative and now can't get enough and i'm limited to what you have on your ipod because i'm too lazy to go look it up myself <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting that you heard it on ozzy's boneyard because both Ozzy and Sharon, they loved Peter. They loved Typo Negative. And there's a great, if you can find the cover that they did of Black Sabbath, I believe it was on one of the tribute albums. Typo Negative, Peter rewrote the lyrics slightly to the song Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And he did it because he was singing it from the devil's perspective. That's good. And and Ozzy loved it. Uh, It was great, (laughs) man. So yeah, they talk about a band that has some covers. We could probably do a whole episode on covers that they did. Was it the Carpenter song they did? Well, you've mentioned that there, there's a, a something seals else. and cross seals and, I'm, I'm thinking yeah, yeah it was it was am radio yeah, yacht rock yeah, it was seals and cross that's what that i'm thinking did. of and that was on uh, the last album that we just played yeah. on uh, bloody kisses and then on this album I, i'm trying to remember it was a uh, cinnamon girl which is a neil young song yeah. which it's a, another neil young song that you're gonna like that i hate they, yeah, <laughs> that you probably hate i like their version it. i like their version yeah. so anyway getting back to this which, album sorry it proves my point yet again neil young was a great songwriter i just can't stand hearing him sing his own songs much like Bob Dylan and a couple other guys so sorry no good good point so when October Rust came out in 96 at the time I felt like it was a little lighter than the previous effort and it I didn't know if they were I didn't know where they were going Mm -hmm. as a band I didn't I was like oh no are they gonna lose their edge a little bit it's when I go back and listen to it now I don't have those same thoughts but at the time in 96 that's what I was thinking Mm -hmm. and maybe because that was the same year that Metallica came out with Load and you know the landscape of heavy was changing mm-hmm. and I don't know maybe I just put them in there but to me it still sounds a little bit lighter but nothing like what I thought at the time uh, one of my favorite albums of theirs this album also went gold so they had a lot of momentum coming out of Bloody Kisses into this one Bloody Kisses again went platinum in the US mm-hmm. and it did well in the US this one goes gold in the US and it reaches number 42 on the Billboard Top 200 however where they really scored is all of a sudden in Europe they're starting to really really climb. And so they had a lot of success. They were top 10 with this album in Austria, Finland, Germany, and Sweden. Nice. So all the places where they're going to go and play those big rock festivals. So it, it really did well for them with that. Let's play the song that got you hooked. Here is Love You to Death from October Rust. Salty sweat 
Trips from the rest Her hips move And I can feel what they say Swaying They say the beast inside of me Is gonna get ya Get ya
That song's emotional for you, isn't it? I can just see it on your face, man. Really is. It has changed a lot. Initially, it was very emotional because it basically was that gate that when the song would play, that gate would open for the emotions to just flow out because it just touched a, a nerve mm-hmm. during that time. Once again, that whole year just revolved around death and loss and grief, and it was just a and that's the same. God that's exactly time. what he is going through. You'll see in in some other songs we're talking about in some yeah. other albums. He's going through the same thing and with his with his family, this is with what his friends. Music has always been about for me is that connection. And and when I wrote music, our songs weren't that serious. A few were. And when I was able to make connections with people, that's why we do this as artists. And even today, as a, a metal artist, I still want to make connections with people. And so this was that song. So for, at that time, three years ago, it was associated with feelings of grief and sadness and just it would you know it stopped me in my tracks when i heard that song and i'd have to stop what i was doing because i get emotional and now listening to it it's a different emotion it's it's a happier emotion because it reminds me that there was a way out after all that it's not all into the world because when you're in the middle of that you don't see the light in the tunnel and this song and that moment in time it was october 2018 when i did this performance art piece it was you know what five minutes long but those five minutes or however long the song is did you know that this song came off of album called October Rust? No, not at all. 
all I knew was just, <laughs> yeah, I, I knew the song and roughly understood what he was saying. I knew it was probably not the same way I was interpreting it, but still the feel of that song was all that mattered. And it fit with what I was doing with this piece where I burned myself in effigy, basically. And at the very end, I light it with a flamethrower. So I was going to ask you, because now that people have listened to it, what was yeah. the exact point in the music where you did that? Uh, right towards the end. So the beginning of it, it was me in this dark cloak and there's this uh, sheet covered body sitting on a funeral pyre. That's and breathing, which yeah, you said. You so yeah, I made it animated it. and it was breathing like it was on a life support system. And so I, at the beginning of it, I very ritualistically poured oil all over it. So you take the whole it. first half or more of the seven minute song oh, yeah. and, and you're just yeah, pouring. It, it, so I had come up with this whole ritual during the song and it was choreographed to point, specific points in the song. And I picked a, a wooden vase that I poured oil in it. Did not realize it was not waterproof. So as I pick up this... <laughs> Face, vase, wooden vase, full of oil, flammable oil. You're getting it all over you. It's all over me. And so I know in just four more minutes, I'm going to be lighting this thing with a flamethrower, me now covered in flammable oil. I'm going, yeah, that's going to be bad. It's really going to be an effigy. But I didn't care. You got to push through as hard as. It's an F and effigy. Yeah, F and effigy. So anyway, yeah, the, uh, poured oil over it. But then there's a point in the song where, you know, it's just this really big hit and then it goes quiet. And I would, you know, I walked over and, and put my hand on the head like I was saying goodbye to it. Right. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So then at the very end, I back up and I, I, I turn around and pick up this flamethrower. And I, it's about, I'd practice, it's got about a 16 foot flame. And so I'm standing kind of at the edge of that. I didn't want to get too close to this thing. <laughs> Once again, I'm aware that I'm covered in flammable oil now. And at the very end, it's just this one point right before he goes, <sighs> Right. That's when I, I That's took when a, you do it. I took a deep breath, lit it up, dropped, set the flamethrower down, but just quickly set it down. And then I had arranged with a friend of mine because we had to have fire safety there. This was, you know, big fire. So a friend of mine, he's a big dude and he was in full turnout gear, which is firefighters gear. So he's in full firefighters gear just in case, you know, mm-hmm. we always have to have kind of safety in mind. And I had told him. And so as soon as I set the flamethrower down, I started walking towards the fire like I was going to just walk into it. Right. And he bit the last second and I told him I said look I'm going to go slow <laughs> right. so I, I told him but nobody else knew so everybody in the audience is looking at me walking towards this fire like what the hell is he doing yeah Gatsby. like um, does he no he's not oh yeah he's walking towards this fire and so my friend Kat is like he's pretty tall too he steps in front of me and puts his arm like no and so I turned and walked off and it was just I've said the word cathartic and you, it, it took the place of a year's worth of going to therapy you know counseling whatever that one piece turned that was the turning point and and after that is when I started kind of coming out of that funk, that fog of grief and sadness. And now I listen to that song and I get the biggest smile. So it's funny how a, a dark, one, the darkest song that I know and the heaviest song that I know is now the source of happiness for me. Well, I mean, just apply that to what we're celebrating this month, Halloween. Yeah. What is the point of Halloween, right? So the, the pagan ritual was basically you, you become one of the spooks or one of the spirits or the demons, and then you can find a place of happiness happiness because you kind of chase it away. Yeah. And that everything, everything you just said. I became this demon yeah. with a cloak. This book, my friend made this heavy black cloak for me and it looks great. I didn't pull that so out in a couple one, weeks. Once <laughs> again, you know, typo negative, the perfect Halloween soundtrack. It's absolutely perfect. And I'll, I wish I could go back and do it again. That's one of the things that you can't replicate. It's not like a, a, a song that you can play on stage repeatedly. Yeah. I can't replicate that moment. It was once, once in you a You could lifetime. if you went to some other event somewhere Yeah, then else. nobody knew me. But right. that those emotions wouldn't be the same because no. I've already done it. It would be 
being genuine then. Yeah, but so that's why I, I, it brings me happiness to know I did it. Who knows what's next? And it was a darker side of me that people hadn't seen. A lot of my friends know me for being a jackass and being funny and you know doing silly stuff and making sculptures that are kind of silly. And so this is the first time I really kind of tapped into that darker side that I've got, and I can't wait to do that again. Well, and that's a perfect transition to the next song we're going to play. So I'm going to go back to 1992 and their second studio album. So their first two albums before Bloody Kisses came out was kind of them working out the kinks of who is typo negative. Mm -hmm. So these guys were all childhood friends from Brooklyn. And Peter Steele had been in this thrash band called Carnivore. And everything was kind of, you know, very tongue in cheek. Don't take it too seriously. And and typo negative were that way as Mm -hmm. well. They had some really serious, heavy stuff. And then they had some lighter, kind of taking the piss out of things. They, Mm -hmm. They had their sense of humor, you know. But their second album, they had some issues when they went on tour after their first album in mainly in Europe where the Europeans didn't really understand their sense of humor and maybe they were taking the shock rock thing a little too far maybe they took some jokes a little too far but out of that Peter got this idea okay we're gonna fake our second album it's gonna be a studio album but we're gonna fake a live album Mm. and that's what they did they have this album called The Origin of the Feces that came out in 1992, <laughs> which is, that's them taking a piss on Origin of the Species, right. Darwin. And this is the one where they have like bomb threats. Yeah, so, exactly. So they fake the live recording, they add in crowd noises, they have banter with a fictitious audience. Hey, why don't you come up and do that up front, man? They, they keep stopping. Like through something. And then they have, they receive a bomb threat and they have to yeah. stop the show. Yeah. You gotta get out, man. You gotta evacuate <laughs> the building. So it's, you know, it's in theory and, yeah. and, and it sounds like it was a good idea and it's a fun listen, but it, it is not the album that you go back to often when uh, you're listening to your typo negative but, but it's still good. at the good. same time that sounds like something I would have done. Yeah and they, they carry it off really well but to me to my ears it gets a little taxing it gets a yeah. little the fake crowd gets a little much and a lot of these are just re-recordings and renamings of songs off their first album. Oh they just renamed them. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> And, but like I said, this is this is them figuring out who is typo negative. Mm-hmm. They're not carnivore. They're not what the other bands that they had been in. They're not that. They're trying to establish their sound. So they're going from thrash to goth. They're working through punk. Now the covers. Let's talk about the covers real quick. So. <laughs> The original cover for The Origin of the Feces, what would you put on the cover if you have a title that? Uh, like the cover art? or Yes, the, the cover art. Oh, yeah, the like art the, a dog art. taking a poop. Well, that would have been light. Too literal. You know, they got to be shocking. Oh, that's right. Especially after the first album, which we'll touch on later. You know, Peter, he wanted to push the shock as much as possible. This is shock rock after all. And so he um, took a close-up shot of his hairy sphincter. <laughs> Well, he's already been a. Was he in Playgirl? He by wasn't. Now? A, you know, he wasn't in Playgirl. Okay, this so this is, is his first foray into modeling. So this is either him uh, doing oh, this my. on a copy machine. You know, how <laughs> yeah, because there weren't selfie sticks back then. But it's man, it's all there. It's a blurry <laughs> picture of his hairy sphincter. And <laughs> I went to school uh, with him. It definitely out shock rocked the first cover, and we'll talk about that one when we get there. But it was changed. You oh, know, sure. Most, yeah, most, I don't uh, think that. Oh, we got a sticker over it. So when they got their little platinum status with the next album. They had to reissue this thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> they, they, they decided to go with uh, a green and black version of a of a fourteen ninety three painting called the Dance of Death. So that's yeah, the okay. version I have. That's more typical. But they did keep it in the green and black spectrum of color. So every album by this band has that creepy duotone green and black. You right there? You hit your head. <laughs> <laughs> I was petting the dog. Sorry. <laughs> So let's go back to the fake live album, the second album from this band, The Origin of the Feces. I'm going to play a song called Kill You Tonight. 
That's the one I was talking about. Oh my God. That's just, yeah. So that's what I was thinking of. That's so funny. You picked that one out. The first part of the song is just this perfect punk thrash blend. And then they just turn it right back to just the the heavy doom. (laughs) And he's, you know, you know, quite the lyricist. He goes straight for just a death threat. (laughs) Just try to sugarcoat it. Hey, I'm going to kill you tonight. I'm going to fucking kill you. You hua. You hua. This is another song. He says that. <laughs> you fucking hua. Like, how often do you get that in a really good song? It's hard to rhyme Probably that with things. Probably not often. Like, I don't know what you rhyme with. Hua. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, I can Sorry. go there, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> yeah. So it's them again working out the kinks of who who are they. Yeah. And they still did this stuff on, on later albums. It was just fewer and yeah, they just farther between, I guess, than when they first started. But, you know, it's like. Stuck to the script. They established their tones. Mm-hmm. You can tell those tones yeah. are there. That guitar sounds like the guitar, you know, drums. And they, unfortunately, the keyboards didn't have a whole lot to do. No, so for bet, that album, he was just picking his nose. I bet Josh Silver was happy when they got a little more melodic. Yeah. Because he could really stretch and out. He's got the skills. Cool he just, they didn't bother featuring him that much. Yeah. Yeah. But that distorted bass. Whew, I mean, I, I didn't play distorted bass until probably the the last 10 or so years I've really explored it more. Mm. I'd always kept my bass really clean and just kind of a little bit of overdrive, but I've been going back. There's so many good players. You think of Lemmy, you think of Mm. Peter Steele, that they just got these gnarly sounds, Mm -hmm. and I love it. Absolutely love it. Okay, let's go all the way to the fifth album next. And this is actually an album that we've played from twice already on our episodes. This is the darkest album that they ever released according to most people and it's also an album that originally I I didn't really like that much Mm. I remember I got it and I think I sold the CD oh yeah wow you keep everything I do and I I, you know I was a little strapped for cash at the time but I I just got rid of it for whatever reason you can give plasma or something like that (laughs) I know get some money if you need it the album I'm talking about is called World Coming Down and it came after October Rust and I don't know it just at the time in 1999 that was a weird time in general so mm. for whatever reason it just didn't strike me the right way the first time now I've since gone back and this is probably now my favorite album it's funny how that happens it does it's all about timing and what's going on around you yeah, and you, yeah you how you a connection it. with it but this album I would think would resonate especially with you at the time that you got into them because again it was only what three or four years ago that yeah. you and you were dealing with a lot of stuff this album was written after a series of deaths for Peter Steele for his family mm. so he had a lot of close family who died while he was writing this and so this that's why it's so dark the interesting thing is this came out in 99 and while it didn't have any songs that I've ever heard on any radio station this was the first one to reach the top 40 on the US Billboard 200 which is pretty interesting and we like I said we've played from this album twice already we played their Beatles medley cover Mm -hmm. on one of our cover episodes it was episode 52 if you want to go back and then again on our Halloween episode last year we also played a song off of this album so in 2021, this year, Metal Hammer Magazine put out one of their best of lists. You know, so Metal Hammer, that sounds pretty legit. Oh God, right? yeah. 20 best metal albums. This is on the list. So that's There's pretty- There's a lot of metal albums out there, There's a lot of metal albums out there. That's pretty impressive. And like I said, this one's really grown on me. This album does have one of those joke intros. It has a, a song called Skip It, which- <laughs> 
Which has a bunch of static. What's cool is, depending on how you bought the album, they changed the static. So for the the CD, it was like a staccato noise. Yeah, so you take your CDs messed up. For cassettes, they had the noise of a tape being eaten. <laughs> and then the vinyl uh, sounds like a, a damaged record. It's stuck in a groove. Right. Yeah. So, and I have the vinyl now. I originally had the CD. Mm. Now I have the vinyl, and it's just so funny. Like, <laughs> God, that's just awesome. Mm-hmm. And it goes on for I don't know, at least eleven, twelve seconds. You know, enough time uh, where you're like, oh you crap! S- you start whacking the side, and you're like, oh damn, you just born, I hit this thing with a hammer. But I'm gonna play. So this is our third song that we've played from this album, and, and we'll I'm probably, okay with that. We'll probably keep playing. Let's just work our way album. through it. I'm it's okay. a great one. And here, staying with our Halloween theme, here's a song called "Creepy Green." light. Myself brought to her 
Abrupt. Very, very abrupt. <laughs> <laughs> On purpose. On purpose, yeah. That's just the way they roll. But they get the award for probably some of the slowest tempos in their music out of all the good metals because metal it's doom it, yeah but even with you know just metal in general you, you expect upbeat song then you get into you know black metal it's still pretty up tempo and then doom metal gets slow but then these guys are like oh yeah you'll see slow <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> fall over playing this but it's gonna be really good and then their guitar and bass their distortion match so well that when they're playing in unison i can't tell what i'm listening to and then that chord progression as it's detuning as they play it dun 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 like that all of that together they were are were the just masters of heavy dark doomy whatever you want to label you want to put on it they did it so well they are goth metal oh god yes. they define bringing those two genres together and yep. define what that should sound like this is what it should sound this like. exactly what it should sound like it's got to be heavy because it's got metal in the name but you've got the darkest lyrics the darkest lead singer of the baritone that we all often talk about with goth that baritone sound and then just like i said but just the guitar progressions that are actually detuning while they're playing it and it's just amazing let's just talk about the musicality of the band too it's not like when they first started you would not have thought that they could go as far as they did they progressed with mm-hmm. every album and got really intricate with their arrangements i mean that song alone went through how many tempo changes yeah tempo like changes. a prog song but it doesn't come across that way it comes mm-hmm. across as as like a almost cinematic in right. a way like a an epic movie or something the perfect soundtrack band and they actually were on a ton of soundtracks that you don't even realize that they were on and that what you just said allows the listener to just create this visual inside what he's talking about this green light and laying on the grave creepy and it just it's perfect halloween song god it is yeah he just mentions the word october in the lyrics and oh, mm-hmm. it's just i don't understand why while they were big in a sense in the community of heavy metal mm-hmm. they were big they're an but outlier it, in the metal world people talk about you know, five or six big bands that we all know and love but these guys were out there on the on the periphery but think about when they were active they were active from the early 90s so the first albums 92 and think of all the silliness in the metal world going on right then it was you know the the Big hair days were coming to an end. Right. And it was just, that's everything kinda, was over the top. That's where I'm going. So nine, they're active from 92 until 2007. That is this the span of their mm-hmm. career and their existence in their seven albums. Metal was not the top of the world during that time. No. There were other forms of music. And so that's why I kind of say this band deserved to be bigger than they were because they were big in the community, but the community was not It was a small community back then. It was a small community. They were, they're all struggling to get by as far as trying to get people to come not Metallica, but majority of you, yeah, metal Yeah, you bands. had your ACDCs and your Metallica. Yeah, they always pulled continue, a crowd. But, but everybody else in the middle, it was a tough time because record companies didn't want to talk to them as much. Crazy. So let's go all the way to the end. Let's go to the very last album, which came out in 2007. Album number seven. It was their last before Peter Steele's death in 2010. And for the first time since album number three, they say, okay, John Kelly, we're going to let you play your drums. <laughs> 
<laughs> Pick so, up sticks. Yeah. So they didn't use the old drum machine. They didn't program the drums. Everything you just heard was mm-hmm. programmed. Uh, yeah. So this is the first album since Bloody Kisses and the first album that John Kelly, only album that John Kelly ever actually plays on because remember the first drummer left after Bloody Kisses. Mm-hmm. Then John Kelly became the drummer and he programmed technical everything. Technical drummer. He was their technical drummer. Yes. He programmed everything and until the very last album, which I'm sure that's kind of cool for him. Like, yeah, I finally got to play on mm-hmm. the last one at least. But the other thing that's interesting in 2007, this comes out. And again, I actually don't get this album when it comes out. Mm-hmm. This is the only typo negative album that I did not get on release day. And for whatever reason, this one escaped me. I didn't know it was out until like a year later. And when I picked it up, I looked at the cover and I thought, hmm, is that Charles Manson? I thought it was Charles Manson for the longest time. And then I looked it up to see, okay, I don't see the swastika yeah, usually there's on his head. Thingy on his forehead. But it kind of looked like Charles Manson to me. No, I was way off. It was Grigory Rasputin, who was Rasputin. A, Rasputin, sorry. Yeah. Yes, he was a Russian mystic. I learned all about him from the Indigo Girls. Okay. All right. I did not, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> he he was a mystic associated with the last emperor of Russia, Tsar Nicholas II. Yeah, he was a wacky dude. Okay. All right. Well, I thought it was Charles Manson. No, he was kind of messed up looking, so I could see where that would All remind right. you of somebody well, that's unkempt. Apparently, I just didn't know my history there. So yeah. anyway, I got no, schooled. You should look him up. He's, he's, he's a, he was a weird dude. I'm sure that's why he's on the cover of the last Typo Negative album. So what was going on during this time is in 2005, Peter is suffering from paranoia due to his really heavy substance abuse. And then in the same time, he gets diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So he goes to rehab. And then unfortunately, he also goes to prison for assault. So not good time for him. And, you know, he came out of it and put the songs together for this album. And then also the same year that this album comes out, he starts identifying himself as Roman Catholic. And he had been and professed atheism Mm -hmm. prior to that. But in 2007, he became a devout Catholic, which is interesting. I'm sure he started, and I'm sure he grew up that way and just, mm-hmm. you know, didn't pursue it. Oh, but yeah. Grew up in New York. Interesting to come out of it. But I guess if you, you know, if you go to rehab and, and you have to go to prison for a little while, you kind of yeah, reassess well, we your situation. Up a little bit. Yeah, nothing wrong. And plus Catholicism, not that I'm a Catholic, but Catholicism, they're cathedrals, Gothic cathedrals, a lot of the, True. the stories, imagery, is imagery pretty, can pretty be scary. Yeah. And, you know, so, so I don't see it's being that far off from some of the music that he wrote after that. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. You know, the overall architecture of what is Catholic. And, yeah. yeah. Um, interesting also, Dead Again, 2007. Again, metal, eh, it's not really on the, the map no, for the Indie most rock. Indie rock was all the rage. Right. It's highest charting album of their career in the U.S. Number 27 on the Billboard Top 200. Nice. Pretty impressive. And oh, by the way, in Finland, it's, you know, in the top 10. Their their last, I think, four albums in Finland were top 10 every time they came out. So Finland, like the band from Finland. Finns are very dark and evil people. Yep, absolutely. So again, we're celebrating Halloween this month. Let's hear a song from Dead Again that's called Halloween in Heaven. Bobby Beat 
song just takes you in so many directions it starts off with kind of a the punk rock the, the first part and the last part of that song could have been glenn Dan, danzig singing that it could have been lemmy it's the first thing i thought was glenn danzig yeah it just and, and how it starts off it just keeps punching the face and that's motorhead they don't ever stop punching the face of the whole two and then you know two minutes 40 seconds for their songs and he's kind of in that register too yeah like, right up danzig there the and lemmy yeah but then all of a sudden they just start going who was who the uh, backup vocalist for that Did, does yes it that's say? tara van Flack or Tara, okay, and she is a, a dark wave artist. So going back to what we were talking about last week, uh-huh. she's in a dark wave band called Lycia or Lycia. Uh-huh. But beautiful yeah. voice, wow! Interesting that a dark wave artist would yeah. participate. But there you go. There's a connection with goth, right? Mm-hmm. So. And that's the the once again the different directions, tempo changes, just most progressive prog rocky goth doom <laughs> metal you can come up with. And I wanted to play one of their up tempo songs because they usually put one or two of these on every release. Yes. And it always comes out of like a weird place. You'll you'll be getting in these kind of doomy groove things, and all of a sudden you get one of these up tempos. Like, oh yeah, they can do this too. Yeah, they, no, they can kick your ass, just like a lot of metal bands out there. But I am going to bring you back down. Sorry, <laughs> we got to come back down. We got to come back down. Let's go all the way back to 2003, album number six, and it's called "Life Is Killing Me." And at the time this came out, this was before all of the issues really happened. But this is when everything was brewing with him and his life. So he was very dis satisfied and he was dealing with mental illness but he had not been i guess they haven't given him the diagnosis he he wasn't dealing with it in the most healthy way exactly he didn't really know that he had it but he was dealing with it it in a 
self-medicating way mm-hmm. and so he was going down a, a pretty dark place and life is killing me is it's an awesome album to go back to again it's another one of those that came out i didn't even know it was out and i got it you know a little bit later but mm-hmm. man is it good and i did want to read a quote from this album because i think this gives you exactly where he was when he recorded it and you know this dude just he lit it all out and he dealt with things and lots of emotions but he basically says all the things i took for granted my health my life People I loved dying, people I loved walking away. I was with a girlfriend for 10 years and she left. It is like my dreams are dead. The original title of this album was going to be The Dream is Dead. Pretty dark place this guy was in. That's kind of where I was in 2018. I just, you didn't see that, hey, this is temporary. You think this is the way it happens. Everybody's leaving me. Everything's dying. You know, I I got a glimpse of that. Thankfully, I didn't go down the road of self-medication. I was able to figure a way out of it without going down a, a further dark area like he did. Yep. And now coming out of this again, he would be diagnosed with bipolar disorder. He would be incarcerated at Rikers in the psych ward and he'd also go to the psych ward at Kings County. Mm. That's that was rough, that was later. Rikers that was is a rough joint. That was two years after this. So this is the beginning of his descent into mm. a really dark place. And it comes out in the music. Fortunately for them, it works really well because that's already established of kind of what they did. Mm. I mean, bad that this guy was going through this stuff, but a lot of times that's when you get some of your best art. It just just is what it is. I agree. Now, this reached number 39 on the U.S. Billboard. So again, here's a band that scored pretty well, but never had any real hits and never got the mainstream acceptance. And you know what? They probably, it's probably better that they didn't. Yes. In a way. (laughs) Much cooler to me that they weren't. And once again, I I was talking about how all these other songs that I just can't listen to anymore. And I'm glad to have some metal and heavy stuff that I can listen to. And it's not old. It's not annoying to listen to. I'm still going to put them on this series that we have called Should Have Been Huge just because this works really well. This should have been huger. They should have been huger than they were. Yes. And people should know who they are now. I agree. Especially the youngins. Maybe we're turning some money on. Listen, listen to the old dudes here. <laughs> so I am going to play a slower, mellower song because, again, I want to show you what this band can do. From Life Is Killing Me, this is called Nettie.
That's also a new one for me. So that's the second one you stumped me with. Nice. I thought I knew them all, but no, that, God, that's so beautiful. How about those harmonies in the middle that you're like, the Gregorian chants? I've never heard harmonies like that. Yeah. And it's this juxtaposition of how heavy they can make the verse. And all of a sudden they just drop into this melodic, soaring chorus. The guitar just dropped out and it was just sent or keys. And then they come right back into it and kick your ass again. And they are just, they were the masters of that. The masters of heavy, beautiful, not just doom. It was beautiful. It's what makes them goth. Exactly. Because everything we played last week had that kind of melodicism to it. Just enough. It's real somber. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's the notes they're hitting or if it's just the way it's played, but it just... It it, tells a story and the way they tell the story is absolutely perfect for me. 
ethereal. Yes, it's very ethereal. Ooh, but ethereal. then, they, like I said, then they kick in the distortion, they kick, come in the the, kick in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look up there in the sky. Oh, right there. The... Exactly. But you can tell, I mean, just from the, the passion that he's putting into singing it where, yeah. where he's in. A, and he, he a loves funk. being able to hit those low notes at the beginning. Oh my God. He was having that's, fun doing that. I think that's the lowest of any of the recordings. I think that is yeah. as low as he can go. Low as he, let me see. I've been low. I'm going to go low. All right. I have one more for you. And Brain. we haven't played the very first album which is called slow deep and hard <laughs> oh, okay. you can take that you know mm. a couple of ways very first release after the carnivore dissolved and i did want to play a little snippet of carnivore for you you want to mm. hear a little carnivores please 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 hear what they sound like i've so, not heard them all right so we'll just do a little snippet this is from retaliation this was their last album it came out in 87 <laughs> so they're coming out of that. Yeah. Okay. He's got the subject matter already there. The guitar sounds already there. And so, you know, he, he comes out of that and he gets together back with his childhood friends and they go to make a new band. And so they put together a band and they call it Repulsion. Mm-hmm. So that was the original name of Typo Negative was Repulsion. And they were going to call the album that they were working on, the album that we're getting ready to play here, None More Negative was the name. None More Negative. How much negative is it? It's None, none More none Negative. More. Which is kind of, a, I'm assuming, a Monty Python kind of play. Spinal Tapish. How spinal, black is it? It's None, none More Black. <laughs> See, there's Spinal Tap and or Monty Python and Monty combined. I think it's combined. A, a mashup. So they actually released this in 1990 as Repulsion, and then they so they did this on their own. Mm-hmm. And then when they were getting some recognition and some notice from the labels, mainly Roadrunner, they found out they had to change their name because another band had the name Repulsion. So they thought, okay, no no worries. We're going to call our band Sub-Zero. All right. So now they mm-hmm. became Sub-Zero. And Peter made this awesome looking logo for Sub-Zero, which had a O and had a minus sign in the middle of it. And that was Sub-Zero. And then the label said, no, 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 no. Yeah, somebody's There's got another that Another band called Sub-Zero. You're going to have to come up with They're something jazz else. Fe- Fusion band. So Peter looks at that awesome logo that he made and he goes, okay, typo negative. And that's <laughs> how we got typo negative. And that's that same logo that he made for Sub-Zero for Repulsion. That's what they use and that's what gave them their name. And uh, so anyway, they get signed to Roadrunner Records and they put together this album, Slow, Deep and Hard. Again, it's the same album that they had done when they were Repulsion, but they, mm. they cleaned it up a little bit. And it still comes across as a first album. It still has some warts and some things on it that they were going to work on. It's still them trying to figure out who exactly Typo Negative is. Mm. But it did give them the start of 
their green album cover. So the album sleeve is that creepy green kind of duotone. Now with a name like Slow, Deep, and Hard, and you're going to do a little Sounds shock like a rock. Kiss song. Something it does sound Paul like a Kiss song. Written. But these guys took it further than you ever could because it is literally a close-up image of a shaft inserted into a vagine. <laughs> and it's easy to see. Regina in the shaft. Yes, it is very easy to see exactly what it is when you look at it. Okay. Knowing what it is. <laughs> Don't don't try to sugarcoat it. It's just, no, it is. They're going for super slow, liminal. deep, and hard. Super liminal. Let's just beat you over the head with it. And my understanding was this was Peter taking a, a picture himself. Yeah, so. Oh, self-photograph <laughs> once again. Just like he did with his sphincter on the other He was eye. fascinated with his own anatomy. Yes. So, again, the sound is very carnivore. Hey, I got a picture of my junk. <laughs> hey, took this up. Hey, hey, look at this. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, so it's carnivore speed with some doom metal and Touches of Goth and I'm going to play a song that he wrote uh, about his attempted suicide in 1989. So we may not have gotten this band at all because he slit his wrist in 1989. Holy crap. So this guy had demons, man. He some demons for a while. So I'm going to play the song called Gravitational Constant. It's a little long, but it's typo negative, so we're going to go with it.
Damn. I hope there's people out there still listening. <laughs> I know I am. That was amazing. Once again, just the journey those songs take you on, visual journey, because he's you you told me that he had tried to commit suicide. So obviously this is a very pertinent song to talk about the scars on his wrist. I mean it's it's very personal to him. It makes the song a lot more interesting to me when it's got that connection, not just talking about in general how it stops and starts and the tempo once again just almost comes to a grinding halt and it picks right back up again right and i i wanted to play this song last because this is also the last song on their first album mm-hmm. and again i think i'd been saying 1992 I, this actually came out in 91 uh, i don't know why i was saying 92 because i'm not very smart but anyway it ends the first album but it also kind of to me it symbolizes again this is them discovering where they're going to go and this covers the spectrum of everything they would explore mm-hmm. in their 17 some odd year career from start to finish that one song caps encapsulates everything so yeah man i we've been talking about doing this since and last I've year i've been hoping we would i love the fact that you introduced me i mean i i heard one song but your ipod your magic ipod we've talked about many times that that got me into the band not just that one song. And now when you think you've heard everything on the radio five million times, bands like this come along and it reawakens that energy for me as I want to listen to more. Yeah, that gets me excited to listen to that. Awesome. Well, that is Halloween week two. Oh, it's going swimmingly. We have three more episodes in the month of October. Got to get back in the shop, start building stuff. This is my favorite stuff to work to. So with that, we'll see you next time. Good evening. Ha <laughs> ha!